you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. I would love to live like a river flows, carried by the surprise of its own unfolding. There was a woman who had this glorious grapevine. She was proud of it. She had given a lot of energy and love and care towards this vine. It was very old. There's only one problem. This grapevine wasn't producing grapes. It looked good for the dinner parties she was hosting and for the events and for the weddings in her backyard, but she wanted this beautiful vine to serve a purpose other than just looking good for the people coming to her home, she wanted it to bear fruit. So she looked to a local expert with vines and vineyards, and she reached out to him. She asked him if he could help her vine, her beautiful, glorious vine, produce grapes again. He said, sure, I can do that. I just need a day alone in your backyard, and it'd be best maybe if you would leave this space, get out of here, go treat yourself to a day. I don't know what that looks like. Just it would be better for my work if you were not here. So she leaves. She's gone all day. She's excited. She's wanting her grapes, and she wants it to produce, and she loves her backyard. Her mind is often thinking of the space she occupies because she feels called to make her place beautiful. She wants some grapes, though. So she comes back later in the day, and he says, okay, now I want you to brace yourself. I want you to brace yourself. And she laughs nervously at him, like, okay. They walk through the house, and he's looking at her, giving her a look, and she's getting a little bit more awkward and nervous. And the moment of truth happens, and she opens the back door, and her once glorious grapevine is just a few stems big. He had to completely prune and take away the non-bearing stems of this grapevine and this once glorious thing that gave so much joy because of how pretty it was, was suddenly removed from her life and she didn't have it anymore. But it did grow back and it bore grapes, but it took some time and she was patient but she mourned the fact that it wasn't what it once was, but ultimately was thankful that the work had been done. We are in our fifth week of the Easter tide season here at Kaleo. And what that means is we are still celebrating Easter. It's not just that one big Sunday where all the, the events happen and the church pulls out all the stops and all the celebration goes and you wear your pastel colors and your floral shirts and you go to brunch and lunch and, and have fun with your friends and family and have the kids run around the yard. It is an ongoing season that we live in the light that Jesus conquered the grave and defeated sin that Jesus sacrificed himself and then rose from the grave. So the grave is still empty, and that is why the church is here. We live in that new light of what was once darkness and hopeless-seeming 
to this new illumination of who God is seen in Jesus. And at Kaleo, we practice the ways of Jesus. We look to the story of Jesus. And that is what we want to put our rhythms in our life to be based on. So during the season, we've been going through 1 John. And 1 John, just to give you a little bit of context, we've been going through it. And 1 John was written by a an apostle by John, a disciple of Jesus, written to the church in Ephesus, a, a diverse community in Asia Minor. And this letter, which is more like a sermon that was circulated, it speaks to a very central question. What does God look like? Who is God? What does he look like? What's happened in this church is there have been some people who've been questioning the teachings of Jesus, who have questioned Jesus's humanity, thinking that the divine and the humane cannot meet in this intersectionality of life known as the Messiah. And John is correcting this way of thinking, and he goes on, even exhaustively, if we're going to be honest, saying what God looks like. So we're going to read in 1 John 4, 7 through 21, some more what John is telling us God looks like. But before we do that, before we read the word of God, I'd like to give us permission. I want to give us permission not to be scared that the TV's going to blow over because if it does, we got another one somewhere maybe. I don't know. Maybe somebody can donate it. But I want to give you permission to be present in this moment. I know that doesn't make sense because physically you were here. So yes, you would check present if the role was called. But I'm asking you to give yourself permission to be here. To truly be here. Whatever's been going on in your life over the past week, month, year, decade, Whatever your story is with faith, with the church, with relationships, with whatever is going on in your life, whether it's overflowing in abundance or it's hanging on by a thread or you're in a valley that seems like there is no light, be present in this moment. Permission to do that. And then, one thing that sounds really pretty, but it's extremely hard to accept, know this in your presence here right now. You are loved and seen by God. Let's read the word of the Lord. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. He's telling us what God looks like. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. John is telling us what God looks like. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. John is telling us what God looks like. God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, 
We have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. John is telling us what God looks like. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, or the other word, mature. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfected or matured love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Jesus, we come to you today. Got an acceptance and presence to who you are as we continue to articulate and understand and hear what you look like. God, you are a God of love. And over and over and over, you tell us repeatedly how much you love us. God, tonight, whoever needs to hear it, whatever heart needs to be receptive, I pray that that love is felt so that we can participate in the mysterious, loving, walking dance with you, our creator, our father. We give you this time. We give you our presence. Pray in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The phrase that God is love is a very bold statement. It's a very bold statement because in Scripture, it says that God is merciful or God does merciful things. God shows grace, but it never says God is mercy. God is judge. God is ruler. But it says God is love. And Charles Dodd in Fightly says this. The statement that God is love, such as God creates, God rules, God judges, that is to say it means that love is one of his activities. But to say that God is love implies that all his activity is his loving activity. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. All that he does is an overflow of his nature which is love. So he is love. And love, therefore, characterizes all of his activities. God's creating, ruling, judging, revealing, recreating, discipling, stewarding, hosting activity in this world is all rooted and overflowing of himself, which is love. So to know God is to know the love of God. To know the love of God is to love others as God loves us. 
And as we love others, we get to know the love of God more and we begin to perpetuate this loving cycle of these rhythms of the divine in a way that is meaningful and mirroring of God. That sounds pretty, doesn't it? It sounds good. We know what to do. Let's go love some people. That makes sense, right? Just jump on Twitter and start spreading some love. You know, go do some neighborly stuff in your neighborhood. Show some love. Start volunteering more. Give the love. Start encouraging our friends and supporting them, showing them the love. Let's not talk bad about so-and-so because they did that one thing and we want to talk to it you know, to somebody that we know. Let's just be, let's be perfected in this love, okay? All right, thank you for coming to Cleo Phoenix. We have it now. It's not that simple. As we become exhausted, or myself does, with kind of getting in my head sometimes with my spiritual journey, where I process it. Oh man, it's under the microscope. I evaluate it. I think about it a lot. It, it, tends to dominate my personal walk where I'm just looking into every little thing. Am I doing this correctly? Is this what he meant? Am I wrestling well? Am I in the right community? I hope so. I'm one of the pastors here. But like even thinking those thoughts, like am I doing this because I have this this disorienting notion that there's a perfect way to do it. I mean, I grew up in the church as a preacher's kid, left uh, my dad's church to plant this church, and still, there's this longing, whereas it's like you 2 says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I want to adopt sometimes the nihilism of the big Lombowski and say, it doesn't matter, man. Because sometimes I think it'd be easier if it didn't. Well, there's so many things that keep going on in this world that are alarming, that are infuriating even. And it seems so clear, especially when churches aren't showing the love of God, that that surely can't be Jesus, right? And yet it keeps happening and people are like, yeah, no, this way, this way, this way, this way. And then this camp over here is like, no, it's this way. It's this way. It's this way. And then you got these people over here saying, you both don't got it. It's this way. It's this way. And that's just inside of the church. Not to mention all the other ideologies or religions or philosophies or worldviews and cultures that represent this thing we call humanity. I hope you feel overwhelmed kind of. Because I do. So John is talking about the love of God, and it seems very simple, just love God more. And we, as a community, try to position and posture ourselves to receive this love and do this love, and we create spiritual practices in order that we may practice this love, and we are just a tiny microscopic thing, community, in a town that when zoomed out, it's actually fairly small. And yet, we gather. John wrote about this perfect, matured love. And as John's writing, I just try to put myself in his position or what's in his mind as he writes the things of what God looks like. And 
I can see him going back in his mind as he writes this letter to the Ephesian church. And he suddenly, he's at the table in the upper room with Jesus and his friends. So let's go there for a moment. What is the situation? Jesus has said some pretty uh, outrageous things about death and dying, and you can feel the tension and the hostility from the religious leaders and the events unfolding and all the pilgrims that have come to this big city. And Jesus is speaking, and at the time he didn't know it, but now as he writes in hindsight, he knows that this is the last teaching that Jesus gives his followers, the very last one. They're sitting around a table and they have finished the meal and they were relaxing and Jesus is teaching and he's talking and he looks at this bowl of grapes and it's just the stems at this point. They've been snacking on them. They've been enjoying it. And there's the empty cups of wine that are still derivatives of the grapes. And Jesus looks at it for a moment and there's a long pause this awkward silence as Jesus collects his thoughts and steadies his spirit. And it's met with silence. You can hear some hustling and bustling on the street, maybe the wind blowing or the trees making a sound. And all eyes are fixed on Jesus and he says to his friends, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do not bear or that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, abide in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone that does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. So branches are gathered up in a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. This message is permeating John's mind as he writes to this community that he loves. As they themselves, with all of their diversity and backgrounds and worldviews, have come together to try to be a faithful community of Jesus followers. They're an immature church because every church at that time is immature because it's the very beginning of the church. It's the baby church. It's the first century church. And John so desperately wants them to see what Jesus looks like. For he said in the beginning of the letter that we have seen him with our own eyes. That is what God looks like. And he's telling them over and over and over. But it comes to this part where we can talk about the love of God. We can say love looks like this, not like that. It looks like this thing over here, not that thing over there. It looks like this person, this community, not that one or them. We can dissect and, and deconstruct and parse out and philosophize and argue and debate all we want to of what God looks like and what this love means. But at the end of the day, what John is saying 
is you only know the love of God when you abide in him. When you abide in him. Now, this concept of abiding is one that I've been brooding over as of late. For where you abide and center your soul will produce the fruit of its circumstance. It'll overflow out of you. So just very simply, if, if you abide in social media and, and find identity through there, you will be left insecure, deluded a little bit, a little delusional, probably not as mentally healthy as you could be if you weren't abiding in that. Or if you abide in a political ideology and you just consume and you consume and you consume the, polit- the political view and news outlets and things that make this group mad and that makes you mad that they got mad and then you get even more mad that they're mad and then you continue this outrage cycle perpetuated by the world that we live in. Or maybe you abide in what it is you can achieve, what it is you are doing, your grind, your hustle, your vision, your work, and that's what causes you to lose sleep at night, and that's fine. But as you abide in that, you start living by winning and losing, and when you're losing, it is hard for you to even love yourself. Where do we abide? Where are we rooted? Where is our source? Now, we, we have the answers here. As much as we may fumble over them, we do have the answers because there's a truth that we believe in, that we profess as Christians. We have the answers. That answer is simply this. Jesus reveals what God looks like, and God looks like love. Therefore, God's love is the life and love of Jesus. John knows it because he experienced that love from Jesus, therefore abided in Jesus and was able to overflow that love of Jesus. So there's a moment that if you become a Christ follower, you profess this truth and you begin to continue your journey as a pilgrim following Jesus. And you center yourself and you root yourself. But what happens is there are other things constantly competing for our attention. There are constant things that distract us. We have our own minds and our own thoughts that derail and distract and move us away from this truth. And we keep coming back over and over again. But what happens even in the church is we begin consuming certain things that makes us feel loved. While it might not be a bad thing initially, we start to abide in this thing. So if you feel closer to Jesus when you worship through song, then worship through song. But remember, the presence of God is with you all, always, wherever you may go. So if you're getting that dopamine hit of worship music, and that's the only time you feel close to God throughout the week, you might want to ask yourself, where do I abide? If you're, one, if you're a YouTube sermon listening, podcast consuming, audio book just generating often over and over and over, which is good because I do that too, 
But then that thought and that voice is all that gives you your grounding as you follow Christ. I would like to encourage you or challenge you even and say, where are you abiding? Is your overflow coming from outside, other people into you and then out? Or is there some deep-rooted thing that is perpetuating itself through you as you worship God in this journey? Abiding in Christ is the willingness to be loved for who you are. I want you to know that, and that's why I asked for your permission tonight to be present. So for a moment, I want us collectively... You can close your eyes. You don't have to, but you can. I want you to take a couple deep breaths. where you are in this place right now, outside. Abiding in Christ is the willingness to be loved for who you are. Not for who others perceive you to be, but who you are. Does that make you uncomfortable? Right now, in this moment, being present to yourself and all the things that you would say defines you, are you proud of the person that you have become thus far on your journey? Do you love yourself? I know that sounds a bit egotistical, but seriously, do you love yourself? To be you is to be loved by God. Simply breathing and sitting in this moment, you were loved by God in a way that he'll never love you less or even love you more. But the reality is you are loved with who you are right now, not an idolized version of yourself 10 years from now, right now the mistakes you've made, the shame you feel, the guilt you have, the remorse you experience. Right now, you will never be more loved by God than you are in this very moment. Sit in that for a moment. Take your time. You can open your eyes. A single seed of rye can soak up 2.9 liters of water into itself simply by being. A sunflower can consume four times its body weight in water as it, with its friends in the field, faces the sun. Simply by being in the field that they are, they soak up this source that they do not generate on their own, but with this passive receptivity they do. Be a seed of rye.
today. Be that sunflower seed and allow the love of God to soak up into your soul without having to read another word of scripture or spiritual practice or book without even having to pray another prayer, but by simply existing and being a child of God. If we want to know where to start, we start by drawing in breath. It is that simple and it's that accessible. And we've got to stop getting in our own ways as we try to experience this love of God and figure out this thing we call life. Rather, we need to draw our awareness simply on the fact that God is loved and we are loved by God. And because we are loved by God, we are able to love others. And that cycle will perpetuate, will happen. And yes, you will get distracted and you will be frustrated and real life things will happen. Just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean you're going to be awesome and kill it. Some people might. We don't need any more of those messages right now. What we need to hear is that you, right now, I'm going to say it over and over and over and over again. I might just keep going on that because John said it over and over and over again. But you, right now, in your seat. I feel like this is goodwill hunting when Robin Williams looks at Matt Damon and says, it's not your fault. Come on, man, what? It's not your fault. Gets mad. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And he starts bawling, crying, and the audience starts bawling, crying. And that is what happens as he just repeats it over and over and over. God's word is that repetition of God's being, which is he loves us so drastically that he laid down his life with nothing in return just to show us the love and enable us to love one another because God loves us and we need each other. And that is the simple truth. Yes, there are things that we need to address in our worlds to make it a more Christ-like place and we need to speak truth where there needs to be truth. But at the end of the day, ultimately, it is going to be okay. What Aaron said earlier about God doing the impossible, maybe that first impossible thing is for you to know that you are actually loved for who you are by God. Start there. And then know that your ability to love yourself is the limit in which you can love other people because you can't love other people more than you love yourself. So let's become obsessed with who we are because who we are is the overflow of who God is. And we have a cycle that we get to participate in, that we get to be a part of. So that grapevine that we talked about in the very beginning, it took three years to grow and produce grapes after it had been pruned. A yearling apple tree will take five years to produce fruit just by simply being and existing where it is. Whether you're a grape or an apple or citrus, which in my backyard doesn't produce fruit, it's been three years now, Whatever you are, whatever stage you're in, just know that the grace of God is there and that you're loved by God. There's a tree in Bolivia called the Puya Ramadi. 
And it's an interesting tree because it does bear fruit, but it's the longest taking tree to get to that point. The process is that long. And the Puyo Ramadi produces fruit when it turns 150 years old. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? You know how long those trees live for? 150 years. I don't know what that fruit looks like in your life. I don't know what type it is. But the grace of God is there for you. The love of God is there for you. The presence of God is accessible to you. Sit there and be loved. The band's going to come back up. And as we continue to worship through song, this expression, whatever your creative process is, I would just invite you to picture yourself maybe in that field, just simply existing. Wherever you need your happy place, if you will. And like that seed of rye and that sunflower in the field, imagine this source that is being generated into your very being. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to like find the water, use the divining rod to locate its source. You just be there and it'll meet you. Wherever you are, be still be seen be accepted be loved for it is who you are and what we do at Kaleo Phoenix is we desperately work even to create space to practice the ways of Jesus And our practices, I believe, are helpful. Just spiritual disciplines as a whole are helpful. But they're just aids in the process of just who you are to help you become more of who you are, which is the realization that you're a child of God. So these things such as music and sermons and spiritual practices and ongoing conversations and arguments and debates and thoughts and all of those things, your prayers, they all belong to this process. But at the end of the day, it is fully in being rooted in existing in Christ. It it really is that simple. And that is how you experience eternal life. Now, here, that prayer you prayed maybe at VBS or church camper in the back pew, wherever you found yourself, yeah, that started a process. But that wasn't just a ticket to a destination one day but that was the invitation to a journey today and we were all journeying together on this road 
And in that awareness of the simple fact we are experiencing and partaking in our own salvation. Let's think about that for a second. The experiencing of salvation has implications in our world around us because it it then makes us to where we can genuinely be friends out of that overflow of that salvation and that love without trying to convert all the time, without trying to, to get something out of that other person, but simply being and existing who you are, showing the love of God in your place, being saved out loud. Being a good neighbor, being a good spouse, being a good mother, father, friend, girlfriend, boyfriend husband, wife, whatever it is, rooted in the truth. So how do we abide as a community? We show up. We create space. We habituate our lives rooted in the Jesus community. And we become honest with ourselves as we continue to flesh out what it really means to be seen and loved by God. And that, my friends... My community, Kaleo Phoenix, is what it means for us in 2021, following the worst year in recorded history that we can think of, or for many of us, and be able to audaciously utter the phrase that it is going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because you, again, are loved by God. Jesus, we are so desperately wanting to believe that even. God, help us. God, help us know that your spirit is present and accessible for us as that resource and that vitality that flows in us. And as you prune the branches, God, and create that energy into its branches that bears that fruit, allow us to soak up your goodness and your love and everything that you are so that we can continue to be and become exactly who we are. Individually and communally, God, in this world, Whereas it might seem like darkness and separation and divisiveness and anger will win as it dominates all the things that we consume and that we are shown and that we get to see in our lives and it seems like all hope is lost. God, we pray and we pray to the power of your spirit, God, to transcend and supersede all of those things because we do know that this is the Easter tide and that the light has come and that it is better and that it will be finished in the meantime, God, may we continue to live out our eternity right now in this temporal moment. God, and if anybody here feels unlovable, God, I pray that you touch them with your spirit right now and you put the people in their lives that sees them so that they know who they are child of God, sons and daughters in community. Jesus, we thank you. We pray in your power, in your life source, in your vitality. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, 
please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.